0: Hello and welcome to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. And I'm
1: ABC News Congressional Correspondent Mary Bruce.
0: So Mary, a bunch to get to on this podcast. We're going to break format a little bit because we had an extraordinary moment in in the history of uh, this presidency and maybe any presidency. A campaign rally in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, where three years before uh, the president has to run for re-election, but he is out there on the trail and it became at this very tense moment a week or so after Charlottesville and, the, and the, the, the criticism that flowed into the president for his handling of that and a topic that you covered so ably last week on the podcast with my absence. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and also just, just a day after he announces a new strategy in Afghanistan that included a call for national healing. The, the president Trump said it is a time for us to come together. We owe that to our troops. What happened to that guy?
1: uh, He hasn't been seen since. And the president (laughs) gave a very measured, very presidential speech uh, outlining why he feels uh, the need to to boost boots on the ground in Afghanistan. And then 24 hours later, he was back to his old self and then some in many ways. I mean, we use a lot of adjectives these days in this business to describe uh, how unusual and unprecedented uh, this president is. And I think Last night, uh, we're kind of scratching our head to come up with some other adjectives. He was doubling down. He was defensive. Gone was unity in its place was a lot of talk about uh, the divisions in this country. The president, in many ways, uh, adding to those divisions, yeah. ramping them up. It was deceptive at points and a lot of revisionist history, especially when it comes to what happened in Charlottesville just a week ago, a week and uh, a half ago. I
0: agree. It was angry. It was, it was divisive. Uh, there were there was a lot of self-pity in it, uh, mm-hmm. lots of false statements, uh, a lot of reopening of a lot of sensitive wounds. It was epic in every way, but there was strategy there. Absolutely, and I, I, and I don't want to lose that. And I think that's one thing we're going to try to do on this on this episode is kind of march through some of the highlights and the lowlights of the speech and try to discern the strategy. Because the, I think when when you you say, well, this is a speech that's unmoored for reality or unhinged, you, the tendency to think like, okay, so he's he's just out there doing crazy things. He's it's railing
1: against these things with a purpose, right? That's right? He knows he knows what he's doing, and he loves feeding off of the crowd. And this was a big crowd overnight at this rally in Phoenix. Uh, so let's let's break it down here, right? So the president started with a very lengthy defense of his response to Charlottesville. I mean, he went through every twist and turn. And what struck me most is that this was not uh, the president defending himself to try and get at the core issues here. The president wasn't going through this piece by piece to talk about the need for unity to further condemn racism. This was the president talking about
2: the president.
0: That's right. Relitigating something that a lot of Republicans wanted to see go away. Here's some of what he had to say.
2: Here's what I said on Saturday. We're closely following the terrible events unfolding in Charlottesville, Virginia. This is me speaking. We condemn in the strongest possible terms, this egregious display of hatred, bigotry and violence. That's me speaking on Saturday. Right after the event.
0: But Mary, of course, he leaves out some of what he some of what else he said, the stuff that actually got headlines.
1: The most controversial parts here. Take a listen to what he did not say. You also
2: had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had a group on one side that was bad, and you had a group on the other side that was also very violent. And nobody wants to say that. So, Mary, why
0: go back to Charlottesville? If you're, if you're President Trump, he, he, he feels like he got a raw deal in the, in the media coverage of this. But as you know, it wasn't just his critics who were saying you did this wrong. Speaker Ryan says he messed up. He was denounced by just about everyone on the Republican as well as the Democratic side of the aisle. There was almost no one defending him publicly after this. There was almost universal. You were there in Trump Tower with that with that news conference uh, a week ago Tuesday, where he dug in even deeper. Why go back there now?
1: All I kept thinking about was the audience, right? The president there is speaking to his supporters. He's speaking to his base. He's not trying to necessarily uh, win over some of his Republican critics. I didn't get the sense that in these moments he was talking to Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and Bob Corker and Lindsey Graham. The list goes on and on and on of Republicans who have criticized him, but speaking to his base and trying to explain, hey, in his mind, he got this right. The critics, the media got it wrong.
0: And, and I think digging in even further on that, when he talked uh, a bit uh, about the, the effort that's now afoot to remove Confederate monuments from, from places around the too. country, he went back to that, and let's and, and listen to what he had to say on this topic.
2: In the proud tradition of America's great leaders, from George Washington, please don't take his statue down, please. Please. Does anybody want George Washington's statue? No. Is that sad? Is that all sad? To Lincoln, to Teddy Roosevelt, I see they want to take Teddy Roosevelt's down to. They're trying to figure out why. They don't know. So, Mary, this is, first of all, a
0: willful misreading of what's actually going on in this country. If you know of people's serious efforts to take down statues of Lincoln or Teddy Roosevelt, please let us know. Uh, that's not what this is about. This is about parts of Confederate history that have been celebrated over a long period of time. That's Charlottesville. The original rally was to to save a statue of Robert E. Lee. And this debate that's going on in this country, the president's diminishing that debate and and I think marking down a, a couple of important touchstones in talking about our culture that, to me, is is coded language, and I, I can only imagine how it's heard by those who were rallying in favor of keeping statues of people like Robert E. Lee. Yeah,
1: a lot of people hear those terms, our culture, our history, that, that our word that keeps popping up again and again and again, and they say, look, that's a dog whistle, right? The president is speaking in codes, as you mentioned, aiming that at a particular uh, section of the country that a lot of people feel he should be condemning right now, Um or at least uh, trying to include in a broader conversation. And the president has been making this argument since that press conference last Tuesday that this is a slippery slope, that if you start taking down statues of Robert E. Lee and other Confederate generals, you know, where does that line stop? And that's a, a, a conversation that's been happening across this country for a long time now. The purpose of these statues, what they mean to different people, how you... Uh, pay tribute to uh, American history and American culture, while also recognizing some very uh, controversial and painful parts of this nation's history as well. But when the president says those words, our history, our culture, uh, it means very different things to very different people. And again, he's aware of that.
0: That's right, and 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 I think he is intentionally trying to to diminish the real debate that's going on out there and, and make, make it just about statues and everyone's statues and, and all that. Another, I think important symbol that he played to uh, is about a local figure in Phoenix uh, who's a bit of a national figure as well. Everyone knows Sheriff Joe, Sheriff Joe Arpaio uh, who was convicted um, uh, earlier this year of, uh, of, uh, of efforts that were that essentially come down to racial profiling and, and, of defying judge's orders to, to stop doing so. Uh, he hasn't been sentenced yet. Uh, We were told, the president himself said a few weeks ago that he was thinking about pardoning him. We were told that a pardon was not under discussion by the White House, but this is what he said last night.
2: Was Sheriff Joe convicted for doing his job? That's what he should have had a jury. But you know what? I'll make a prediction. I think he's going to be just fine. Okay. But, but I won't do it tonight because I don't want to cause any controversy. Is that OK? All right. But Sheriff Joe can feel good.:
0: Not a lot of subtlety there, Mary. No. I mean,
2: I, 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 I,
1: that he, was pretty he, cut and dry. <laughs> You kind
0: of know what he's going to do. <laughs>
1: and, you know, t- you can just picture, you begin to wonder what his staff is thinking at this point, right? Because this is the exact opposite of what we'd been told he was going to do. It's clear he knows this is the exact opposite of what he's been advised to do. It was the first of many things in this very lengthy speech that seemed to run completely counter to what his aides and his staff. Which he even said at times. Yeah, he which even he even said. said. He's flying they're telling in the of, of their advice. Uh, and look, I mean, Sheriff Joe Arpaio is a, is a lightning rod. And it comes in this speech in this time in this country where the president uh, is being encouraged to talk about unity. And here he is uh, not so subtly hinting that he is going to pardon someone who, uh, you know, is, is being sentenced for a federal criminal contempt conviction stemming from racial profiling. Yeah. Uh, that would suggest to be doing, you know, sort of flying in the face of those calls for the president to bring the country together.
0: And, and he's also in Arizona, where immigration is a, is a huge issue, talking about the border wall. Yeah. And uh, this was news to my ears, what he had to say about how strongly he feels about it's included in, in, uh, in, in the budget this fall.
2: Now, the obstructionist Democrats would like us not to do it. But believe me, if we have to close down our government. We're building that wall. Let me be very clear to Democrats in Congress. ...who oppose a border wall and stand in the way of border security. You are putting all of America's safety at risk. You're doing that. You're doing that.
1: Yet the, the president's saying that he is going to get funding for that border wall, even if it means shutting down the government. Yeah. Because remember, when, when Congress comes back the week after next... They have this really urgent to-do list of raising the debt ceiling and paying the bills, just keeping the lights on. And the president is now suggesting that he wants to, you know, tangle into this debate funding for that wall, that signature campaign promise. I think the president saying that wasn't just surprising to to you and I. It was surprising to Republicans up on Capitol Hill because they disagree. They are not going to be eager to try and link funding for the border wall to all of these budgetary fights. And in fact, I was uh, talking with a top GOP aide earlier this morning, asking them about this, and they told me, and I want to make sure I get this right, that, that next month Republicans will be focused on passing a budget, funding the government, and raising the debt ceiling so we can get on to reforming the tax code. Do you notice anything missing there? No mention of a border wall.
0: And no mention of Trump. I mean, and it's also speaking about what they're going to focus on as opposed to what the president is. And well, this will be interesting as well because this is actually something that he has control over. He could veto a bill sure. that doesn't have funding for the border wall if he, wants to, if he wants to have that showdown. That was the clear implication. Now, whether that's a policy position when they're in negotiations for all these other things, who knows with this president. But, but again, marking down that, that line, that's how strongly he feels. It's Congress's fault. But,
1: but who loses here, right? If there is a government shutdown... That will fall on Republicans. If the president vetoes a spending bill or refuses to raise the debt ceiling because of government funding for the border wall, it's hard to see how that doesn't come down on the president and Republicans.
0: Who loses? Oh, that kind of sounds like a segue to me, uh, You want to talk about uh, some, some losers? Some, well, some people that the president may think are, are losers. The, he is, of course, in the great state of Arizona. There are two Republican senators, pretty conservative senators, who are in the great state of Arizona, represent the great state of Arizona. Neither of them was in the room, unlike a couple of House members. Um, So they got their own kind of shout out. Listen to this.
2: They all said, Mr. President, your speech was so good last night. Please, please, Mr. President, don't mention any names. So I won't. I won't. No, I won't vote. One vote away, I will not mention any names. Very presidential, isn't it? Very presidential. And nobody wants me to talk about your other senator, who's weak on borders, weak on crime, so I won't talk about him. Nobody wants me to talk about him. Nobody knows who the hell he is.
0: Well, I don't know about you, but I knew who the hell he was talking about right (laughs) there. uh, Again, not a lot of subtlety there to to know that he's talking about Senator Jeff Flake, one of the most endangered Republicans in the Mm -hmm. country, uh, now has at least one primary opponent, may have more than that. Uh, Strong hints from the president when he uses his name on Twitter that he may end up endorsing one of those. What does this feud with Jeff Flake? Uh, we'll get to the other senator in a second, but let's start with Jeff Flake. What does this feud possibly accomplish for President Trump?
1: I mean, when you look at the big picture, right? This is the Republican president of the United States going after a vulnerable senator of his own party who's up for re-election. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but generally, you don't want to lose seats in the Senate in your own party. I think that's usually. <laughs> I the think map. that's usually yeah, how that's this traditionally goes. how it's So worked. it is just. It makes no sense, but there are a lot of sort of other reasons behind this. Look, the president doesn't like Jeff Flake because Jeff Flake quite literally has written the book on... (laughs) On uh, Opposing uh, the president. He has written an actual book on on why he thinks this president, outlining how he thinks this president uh, may be dangerous for the party. Um, And it it also is a not-so-subtle rebuke of Mitch McConnell, who has promised to protect Jeff Flake, to protect these these incumbents at all costs.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's right, and I think he picks these individuals because there's a chance for him to flex a muscle, and if he's able to beat Jeff Flake in a primary, that's a big message about the muscle of President Trump, and that may be more important to him than expanding a majority is being able to show that he can win, and that, that's why he picks a fight like this. But
1: it is such a perilous political game yeah. to be playing, and it's pretty out of touch, too, with the political reality back here in Washington because the Senate— Republicans have a slim majority here. The president cannot be going around poking Republican senators in the eye and and nudging them uh, in a way that could make them turn away from supporting the president's agenda. He needs every Republican vote he can get on a lot of these top issues. And when you start, you know, sort of throwing mud in their face... That doesn't really help the President get much done.
0: And by the way, he got Jeff Flake's vote on the Obamacare repeal. He
1: did, but someone else's vote he did not. He and I did think he's not pay attention to that. There was a
0: thumbs down that came from the senior senator from the state of Arizona, John McCain. Now John McCain was not mentioned last night at the rally. That was striking for several reasons. Number one, he of course had him on his mind when he talked about that one vote. That that bugs President Trump. He
1: railed against that one vote. That last one night. vote.
0: Number two uh, John McCain is right now battling brain cancer mm-hmm. and uh is is engaged in literally the fight of his life to to, to try to return to work and to to re- to restore his health. Uh there was not a word about that. In addition to that, the the John S McCain uh you may have heard in the news mm-hmm. uh was just involved in a tragic accident that several service members di- died in. Um, the, the, the that that ship is named for Senator McCain's father. And grandfather. No mention of that, no mention of Senator McCain, of his battle, and the only mention, the kind of glancing mention of of, of reference to John McCain was about that vote that is bugging the president, uh, almost mocking him for having cast that vote. Again, Republicans in Arizona, a, a Republican rally. There is no precedent for this that I'm aware of. Donald Trump's playing a different game when he is going out of his way to antagonize senator john mccain
1: and it does not sit well with a lot of people i mean it 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 may sit well in that room um and there's that is a discussion certainly worth having is what message trump supporters take away from this uh on capitol hill i can tell you going after john mccain uh you know doing so by name or not uh does not sit well with a lot of republicans john mccain is a beloved leader in the Senate. Uh, And right now, as you mentioned, he is in a very tough fight. And for the president to be out there railing against his one vote, uh, and we all knew knew exactly what he was talking about, uh, is a risky move. And some would say even in, in poor taste.
0: But as you know, John McCain's name is in less good standing with uh, portions of the Tea Party base, the, the Trump base. They view that vote on health care as just the, the, the latest in a string of mavericky moves where he seemed to poke the the, the, the Republican president or Republican effort at the time. He is not seen, and, and Senator McCain has been not so shy about making it clear where he thinks that the President Trump has gone off the rails on something. Uh, that, but I think you're, you, that, that, that's an important insight. That is about his base, his room his folks that is not about governing
1: yeah and and i think a lot of his base and a lot of trump supporters would view john mccain as someone who you know completely went against his own party didn't follow through didn't do what he was going to say um and abandoned the party in a key moment uh while a lot of republican leaders who i've talked with republicans up on capitol hill in the wake of that vote they were really hesitant to criticize mccain individually um you know they they would speak out against uh not being able to get this vote through but they would not target mccain specifically but you're absolutely right you know if the president is is, is riling up his base and he wants to speak to his supporters he certainly is doing so with this message
0: and the the the, the that, that message extends inside it extends outside as well i want to reach out to one of our colleagues to uh, get a little bit of a little bit of insight for what was happening uh, outside the room <laughs> And joining us now on the phone, ABC's Tom Yamas, anchor of uh, Weekend World News Tonight and uh, who spent, uh, how, many, how many rallies did you end up covering uh, for, for President Trump? Did you count them up, Tom?
3: One or two? I never counted them. I never counted them up, but I, would, I mean, I would assume, I mean, there's more than 100. I mean, it was <laughs> wow. it was a year and a half. Yeah, it was more, it was a year and a half. It was nearly almost every rally he he hosted while he was a candidate.
0: So you're you're in you're in Phoenix now, where where the rally was last night, and you were you were stationed outside. What was the scene like outside? It was hot, but what was what was what was going on outside the arena?
3: No, it's interesting you bring up the weather because I think this is a, a really important point. So uh, around maybe nine a.m., it, it was about a hundred degrees outside, and there was a line that had been forming since seven o'clock in the morning in Phoenix. Here in Phoenix, so so these people were going to wait twelve hours to see the president speak. And when we started talking to people in that line that had been waiting in this triple-digit heat, they had driven from states like Nebraska, Kansas. The first guy that was in line to get in had driven from Florida all the way to Phoenix to watch the president speak. And I will tell you, those lines, they wrapped around the convention center for hours. They were still letting people in as he was speaking. So people were still coming in late at night, like between 7 and 9 o'clock, people were still still marching in there and they were waiting for hours. And my point is that is that the support that the president still has from his base and possibly from others, is, it's still incredible. And I was talking to these people as they were coming out and I said, you know, what'd you think of the speech? Oh, it was fantastic. Well, what'd you think about his comments after Charlottesville? His comments were perfect. You know, every, every counter argument is that the media is distorting his message, that the media is full of Democrats and that the president's doing a great job. I mean, no talk of sort of the apprentice uh, episodes of the West wing where, where there's all these staff shakeups. Nobody mentions that everything is going as planned. Everything is fine. I mean, it, it's almost like they're, they're watching this presidency with blinders on focused only on the president and just what he says. Um, and it, to me, to me, nine months in, even after covering this campaign, but nine months into this white house and seeing everything that that's occurred with this president, uh, it's astonishing that the support is still so loyal there. But Democrats have to realize that because they obviously underestimated that loyalty in the last election. And I was thinking last time, obviously it's very early. We still have a, you know, a couple of years before the Democrats get their act together for a general election. But I'm just thinking, like, who are they going to draft? Who is going to attract that kind of loyal support like that? Because it's still very strong.
1: Yeah, and clearly, you know, in many ways, two different speeches heard by those who are Trump supporters and many even in the Republican establishment back here in Washington, the president's critics. And Tom, I mean, obviously, this is your a zillionth Trump rally. I think we've now established, and I'm sure you didn't think that you'd be back at Trump campaign rallies nine months into his presidency. But is there a difference? How did last night's rally compare with those on the campaign trail, especially now that you know he is the president, no longer a candidate?
3: Well, that's the whole thing, Mary. I mean, you think there would have been somewhat of a change, and he even joked about this at the rally. He says, oh, that, that, that wouldn't be presidential. But there really isn't much of a change. I mean, the attacks on the media are the same. They may be a little bit different now. I know they went very long yesterday, but he's been doing that. And it's, it's just easy. It's an easy applause line for him. It's low-hanging fruit for that crowd. If he attacks Congress, which any politician across America does when they want to get elected, it works. If he attacks the media, it's another really smart strategy because, you know, he basically explains to these people, it's not me, it's the media. And it's not me, it's Congress. Essentially, that was the same arguments in the campaign. It's not me, it's the Republican Party. It's not me, it's fake news. So he really, he, he sort of, I was kind of thinking of this as, as like a, a rock group. because I was trying to, trying to think about the, <laughs> the loyalty, like, you know, are they like, are these like Bruce Springsteen fans? Are these like Rolling Stones fans? Are they just, will travel the country to see him? And it's funny because they don't really come to hear the new album. They come to hear the greatest hits. <laughs> and so when, it, when, I, when I was asking you know, these people when they're coming out, I said, you know, do, you, do you appreciate the, the attacks on the media? They told me they did. Because they, they're, they're like, you guys are full of Democrats. The mainstream media lies. We only watch Fox News. I can't even tell you how many people said that. We only watch Fox News. That's the only place we get our news from. Um, and so they love that because they sort of see the mainstream media as an enemy on par with Congress. Uh, so I don't think there's much different, Mary. You know, he has a bigger platform now, so the entire world is watching more. Uh, but I, I, I don't see a difference. I don't see. I don't, I don't think he's changed in any way.
0: And so one of the one of the, the groups that came under attack last night were the protesters outside, and that's that's an old chestnut of his as well to make fun of the people outside. But take a listen to what he talked about regarding the scene outside.
2: How about all week they're talking about? The massive crowds that are going to be outside. Where are they? Well, it's hot out. It is hot. I I think it's too warm. You know, they show up in the helmets and the black masks, and they've got clubs and they've got everything. Antifa.
0: So, Tom, what what was going on outside? Uh, Antifa was there, right? But
3: what was what? Yeah, what, yeah. There was there was. I mean, I would say I would say it was a very diverse mix. Of sort of protesters you had your your uh, latino pro-immigrant groups you had antifa that was out there you had just general uh, people on the left who hate the president you had you know people who are anti-racist anti-white nationalists uh, who were assembled there there were, there were several thousands it wasn't a small crowd there were several thousands they also waited for hours outside in the heat I give a lot of credit to the Phoenix Police Department because they were able to separate them in a way where there was no violence. Uh, there, there was, you know, obviously a little tension there at the end when they had, a, they had to disperse the crowds. But all in all, compare, I mean, when you compare it to Charlottesville's night and day, I mean, they did a really good job. But look, yeah, I mean, Antifa is real. They, they, they are people who want to start fights. They are people who uh, are okay with property damage. But it's funny because as, as we were coming out and people started – because there were times where Trump supporters – and the protesters did meet, and they sort of had screaming matches. Um, The argument coming out, and this is the first time I've seen this, the argument coming out of the Trump supporters, and it was almost like a talking point, and these were just regular uh, uh, Trump supporters that were coming out of the rally. The talking point is, we disavow white supremacists. Will you disavow Antifa? And this is what they were screaming to the, 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 the demonstrators on the left. And it was interesting because they sort of won this argument because the Trump supporters said, we will disavow the white supremacists. We disavow KKK. Do you disavow Antifa? And, and and some of the protesters on the left, the loudest ones, wouldn't do it. They refused to do it. They that. You know, their argument was, you know, Antifa hasn't killed anyone. That was their argument. But I thought it was, I thought it was like so interesting that they've taken this talking point from the president, which you also hear on talk radio, conservative talk radio, a lot, um, about Antifa, and, and they they now brought it to kind of sort of the grassroots debates outside of the arena. Um, so, look, it's, it's one of these other sort of arguments I think that's going to work for the president if he can paint all of his, uh, all the people that hate him, all his critics, as Antifa. We know that is not the case. That is just one group of people that, that, that wholly disagree with his message.
1: And, Tom, you've been spending actually a lot of time looking into this group, spending a lot of time with them. What is it that they're really after here? And would they look at what happened last night outside of this rally, look at the protests and consider that to be a success?
3: I think they would consider it to be a, you know, a success in the, in the, in the sense that, that there was such a large group of people there. There were several thousands that showed up you know, to kind of match the crowd that, that Trump had inside the, the convention center. Essentially what they are, they're, they're, you know, Antifa stands for anti-fascist, and they're, they're anti-racist. Um, a lot of them are anarchists, so they don't believe in any laws. They don't believe in any government. They believe the government should be the people. Uh, a lot of them are anti capitalist Now, Antifa are the people, you, you like real Antifa. Are the people you see at these rallies and these demonstrations that are clad all in black? They usually cover their face. Not all of them, but most of them cover their identity, um, and they justify, you know, breaking uh, a Starbucks window, breaking in a, a Bank of America window, setting a limousine on fire, destroying property at Berkeley, and starting fights because they say hate speech on the right, and they consider even what, what President Trump says to be hate speech can, can be can be can be uh, can be met with with real violence because they consider hate speech to be violence, and so um, just like the, the alt right, the, the white supremacists, uh, the white nationalists have grown in size. Antifa has al- also tells us they've grown in size as well, and people have started to kind of you know look into them, see what they're all about. Um, but but you know they they believe that laws can be broken and should be broken to take down the president. They believe Trump is like a Mussolini. They believe Trump is a fascist that he, he just wants to maintain power, that he will, he will hold on to power, and that the white nationalists, the alt-right, are his army. I mean, they, that, that is what they believe, and that's why they're at war.
0: And Tom, we also heard from the president uh, some attacks on the media. Nothing new about that as well. You've been among those that he's attacked personally over time. But take a listen to last night because it seemed to reach a bit of a different level.
2: So the, and I mean truly dishonest people, In the media and the fake media, they make up stories. They have no sources in many cases. They say a source says there is no such thing, but they don't report the facts. Just like they don't want to report that I spoke out forcefully against hatred, bigotry, and violence, and strongly condemned the neo-Nazis, the white supremacists, and the KKK.
0: Tom, truly dishonest people. The, the suggestion that media is an enemy of the people, uh, rooting for America not to succeed, to not be great again. He, he gets a lot of mileage out of this, Tom. It seemed like this was, even for him, this seemed to ratchet up another level of, of targeting us in the press.
3: Yeah, he's definitely upping the ante. Rick, there's there's no doubt about that. It, it It is getting more and more serious. But you have to also realize the president is waking up every morning and finding on the front page of The New York Times, The Washington Post, uh, ABC dot com. He's seen stories, you know, that are breaking investigations, uh, uh, stories that have been leaked about inner turmoil, you know, within his staff, just about how he operates day to day. Some of the silly things that apparently he says and does you know, while trying to run that White House, and it's got to drive him crazy. And if he turns on cable news, regardless, you know, except if he's watching Fox News, but if he turns on CNN or MSNBC, I mean, it is, it, it is pretty tough. You know, it is very tough to watch if you're the president, because there, there almost isn't anything positive, uh, to be fair, you know, when they're talking about the White House and what's coming out of it. You know, to defend, obviously, uh, uh, many, many of our colleagues in the media, I mean, the president doesn't have a whole lot to brag about, though, either. Um, so when you put that all together, his argument is going to be: Listen, guys, it's not that bad. Telling the supporters, it's not that bad. It's the mainstream media. I think what he's I think what he's getting at, though, Rick. I think he's he's trying to make the argument that not only not only is the media against him, they're coordinating against him. So mm-hmm. sort of sort of like all the people in the pen that are shooting uh, at these uh, rallies, you know, where the the White House press pool sits with, with all the cameras, the local stations, all these people in the pen, they're coordinating against us. I think that's the argument he's trying to get that all the media is, is, is sort of acting against him.
1: And you mentioned being in that pen. And I think the experience that you've had many, many times, I know I've gotten a taste of it as well, when he goes on these screeds against the press, which is you know, sort of a standard line of his campaign speeches, the crowd turns to you. I mean, the crowd turns on you as as the press in that pen. They're shouting, they're screaming, often screaming you know profanities at us. Last night did seem a little bit different, though, because it went on for so long and the vitriol and the temperature seemed dialed up so much. Is there a danger here that this is simply incitement, pure and simple? Is it dangerous? Right.
3: He's, He's fanning the flames, no doubt. I remember there was one time in Pennsylvania where it was, I think, the day before the election. Might have been the night before the election. We were somewhere in Pennsylvania and it was like this dark gymnasium. It was packed. The lights were dimmed, and like there was just like so much heat that there was like it looked like fog coming up <laughs> from like the lamps at the gym. It just like it was it just looked like a really dark and scary place. And he started with the chance there, you know, to turn around and uh, you know to confront the fake news media. And everyone turns around, and you could, it was in some places it was so dark you couldn't really even make out faces. But you're just hearing people scream at you. So yeah, I mean it's it's definitely not normal. You know you know journalists shouldn't feel. Uh, not safe in those rallies. Now, granted, are there journalists that, that put their lives on their line, that, are, that, that face down real danger every single day? Of course. Are we saying it's anything like that? Uh, we're not. But the president of, of the United States, the leader of the free world, should set an example, even though he completely disagrees with the media. You know, he, he knows his words are powerful, and he knows there, there, there could be people that misinterpret what he's saying, because a lot of it is shtick. You know, if you get to know the president personally, if you spend time with him one-on-one when the cameras aren't on, at least these are my experiences. You know, and he called me a sleaze on national television. He he doesn't have that that, that animosity when you're with him one-on-one. You know, so I think part of it is shtick. Part of it is an act, and he knows it's going to get applause, and it's going to get the energy up in the room. I'm sure a lot of people feel great after a long work day to turn around and give the finger to CNN. I'm sure it feels kind of good for some people. Um, but I agree with you, Mary. Yeah, it could definitely lead to something dangerous.
0: Well, Tom, you're no sleaze in our book. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, sir. That means Thank- a
3: lot coming from you. Hey, you know,
0: I, I, I know I know, a few, I know a few of them. You know how that works. Tom Yamas, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. And thanks for your, your work out there in, in the heat uh, and, and those many months covering the Trump campaign. Appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks, Tom. Thank
3: you.
0: So, Mary, there's one more clip I want to get to before we close here today, because I think uh, it's a it's a pretty, well, perfect encapsulation perfect. Of, uh, of a lot of what was was going on at uh, this uh, pretty extraordinary rally.
2: The words were perfect. They only take out anything they can think of. And for the most part, all they do is complain. But they don't put on those words and they don't put on me saying those words. The media can attack me. But where I draw the line is when they attack you, which is what they do. When they attack the decency of our supporters.
0: It's a lot there, Mary. I mean, the the, the the where I draw the line is when they attack you. He he it seems to me that he's using he's using these attacks on himself to make it seem like look, look everyone's attacking you, my followers. And and it's that that he's trying to exploit. That there I think there's some real Power in in that if you're in that crowd and you look at this as not an attack on President Trump but an attack on you who supported them,
1: and he's creating this sort of us versus them mentality and riling that up. Um, but at the end of the day, words, perfect or not, matter. And he's the president of the United States, and you have to use those words carefully. And omitting some words and twisting others, perhaps. Uh, has an impact and i think what we've seen last night what we've seen over the last two three weeks is a lot of people looking to the president and wondering you know what role is he going to play going forward there's been an understanding uh in this country for a long time that the president is supposed to be you know the uniter in chief is supposed to bring this country together and with the president's words last night you know with with that quote he's in some ways sort of driving a wedge between people and doing so seemingly intentionally.
0: And looking for that wedge, looking for those fault lines, not looking to heal, looking to battle. That, to me, was, was, was very striking. And, of course, it has implications for the tone of the presidency. It also has implications on him actually doing the job of president. Uh, as you know very well, Mary, uh, Congress will be back pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, some real work on, on the plate. It's hard for me to imagine. I mean, I, I was... Kind of contemplating how Senator Jeff Flake or John McCain or Mitch McConnell or Ben Sass for that matter, how they are receiving a speech like this because they have to work with the president and and the, these words. I mean, they can take insults; they're, they're big boys; they they get it. But if you're if you're as worried about the state of affairs in this country after Charlottesville, if you you realize the tension in this country that that's out there and the hard tasks ahead in trying to keep the government open and and worrying about the debt ceiling. It's just hard to see how this is productive.
1: And, I mean, to be a fly in the wall sitting next to Mitch McConnell as he listens to this speech, I mean, they have to make something of this. And the Republican Party now has to move forward. And the issue here is that while the president is taking a lot of time picking fights, defending himself, going uh, on the defensive that doesn't get anything done necessarily. That's not helping to push through an agenda. And yes, while leaders on, on Capitol Hill have to work with the president, uh, only to a certain point. And I think you're starting to see uh, some fracturing going on here. And you may see a lot more. You may see, you know, a real division here between uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill and the president, and them sort of, I don't want to say going their own way, but you know, leading their own charge.
0: That's a great point. You could see a president who gets louder. But gets smaller at the same yeah, at the exactly. same time, even as he as he gets louder. Uh, Mary Bruce, great to be with you here. There's a rumor going around that John Carl's coming back, but we haven't John conf- Carl. We I've haven't heard confirmed that. that. Name. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: really too bad because he hasn't missed a single thing while he's been. No, on no, such we, perfect time. We definitely won't JK. give him a hard
0: time about missing any any news <laughs> events. Uh, but that does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. You can check us out uh, on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio, anywhere you get your podcast, Subscribe, leave us a review for Mary Bruce. I'm Rick Klein. Thanks for listening i